I'm Day. I'm Tiffany. And this is Clay. And, and we're, we're Pie Face Girls. And you're listening to Damage Goods on Little Rally Radio. You are listening to Damage Goods on Little Rally Radio. My name is Matt Dunn, and welcome to episode number 196 of the show. And tonight on the show, I'm excited to bring you an interview with Josh from the Lunch Meat VHS magazine. It is a it's a pretty cool magazine. It is dedicated to the, the culture of collecting VHS tapes, which may seem strange to some people, but the VHS collector craze has kind of taken off here in the last 10 years. And it's not quite like it is with vinyl, but people are collecting them rapidly because it's it's just fun to collect physical items i mean does everything in the world really have to be streamed or on like a on a website somewhere on a cloud storage i mean don't get me wrong i like technology i mean here i am on a podcast but the thing is that there's a lot of movies that just never made it to never even made it to dvd or blu-ray or you'll never see them on netflix so if Netflix is the only way you watch movies, and there's like thousands and thousands of movies you'll just never get to see. And Lynchbeat does specialize in a lot of the cult films of, I would say, like the 80s and and the early 90s as well. And Josh is now running a, it's a really cool video rental store here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it's called Video Vortex. What it is, is it's part of the new Alamo Draft House here in Raleigh, which is a, if you don't have one in your area, it's a really cool movie theater. And they have a video rental space in the lobby with about 70,000 VHS, DVD, Blu-rays. And the movie rentals are free, which is amazing. There's no charge for the movies. You just, you can rent two for a week and bring them back and rent two more. And it's, it's a really cool idea. And... It kind of blows people away when you tell them that, but it, it's it's true. It's really cool stuff. So recently I sat down with Josh Schaefer from the Lunch Meat VHS magazine, and we just we talked about his thoughts on streaming, VHS collecting, the Alamo Draft House, and that kind of stuff. So I am really excited to bring this to you. So here is my interview with Josh from Lunch Meat magazine. Hey, this is Matt with Damage Goods Radio. Who do I have with me here right now? Hey, what's up? I'm Josh Schaefer from Lunchmeat Magazine and LunchmeatVHS.com. I wanted to ask you, what is Lunchmeat Magazine? So Lunchmeat Magazine is a, you know, it's a print and online publication that is dedicated to the appreciation, celebration, and preservation of VHS and modern-day VHS culture. How long have you been doing Lunchmeat for? Who I th- about... 10 years. I think it'll be 10 years this August. Wow, that's a long time. It is a long time, but <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like a long time. Like, it kind of does and kind of doesn't. So 10 years is, is it's really, really crazy to think about. I feel like in those 10 years that the VHS culture has really come a long way. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just miles and miles away from where, where it was. I mean, it's completely different. Maybe not different, but like the visibility the visibility of the collecting culture is like what expands it because people get interested and you have artists that want to contribute and it just continues to grow. But yeah, when I started doing Lunch Meat, I think it was just Bleeding Skull and CritCon Online, a couple other sites maybe that 
we're talking about VHS tapes, and there there weren't a lot of sources that were talking about stuff that was only on tape or stuff that was VHS centric. Really, mm-hmm. me and my buddy Ted wanted to start something that did that because that's what we loved, and we did. So it was like ten years ago. Yeah, I think back then you really had to dig through the depths of the internet to find out about VHS tapes. Yeah, either dig through the depths of the internet or dig through the depths of Salvation Armies and Goodwills. And that's what it was really about. It's still what it's about for me, is that discovery and that tactile kind of thing. And I fell in love with VHS collecting, of course, because I find tons of groovy movies and weird content. really love going out and looking for tapes. I mean, like you said, it's really different now. Tapes were plentiful, and people decided to get rid of them. You could go to the, the flea market and get ten tapes for a dollar, and you're pulling crazy stuff like Chopping Mall and you know, right. you know stuff like that. And it's like, people just didn't want it. I think back then people, I'd even experienced people who were outwardly hostile towards VHS tapes. <laughs> Come on, man, buy DVDs. That's the future. Yeah, I mean, people thought they were trash. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some people saw their value. Everybody's different. So you go to a flea market and they're like, Yo, take this whole box for, for $5 and it's like 50 tapes. They're like, uh-oh, okay. With collecting videotapes, I know there's a lot to cover. Do you Do you collect specific genres or are you kind of all over the place with your collecting i mean I, I collect everything but i do have my obsessions i always go for horror movies and sci-fi movies and weird 80s comedies and uh, special interest stuff i'm all over that yeah so when you say special interest stuff that reminds me of of things like the found footage festival or everything is terrible do you follow that kind of stuff yeah absolutely they do great work I'm all about that weird stuff. And they really put it together, present it in a really cool way, and get it. They get why it's special and why it's cool. I'm also obsessed with this label called Star Classics. And I think I have about maybe over 300 releases from them. So it's this budget sell-through label from the late 80s. Bought a couple tapes here. Oh, cool. Who Am I Now? Facts, Fibs, and Fantasies About Puberty. This is part of why I love tapes. Absolutely insane stuff. What is this? Oh, it's, oh great. It's made by Tampax. You know, Tampax really got in on the home video market. They did a workout tapes, too. It has a music video about puberty on it. Yeah. Yeah, they were, they were, they were in on it, man. And have you seen this Hell's Bells, The Dangers of Rock and Roll? I haven't seen this particular copy, but I've seen a lot of And this is sick. This is like a double. Yeah, it's a, which is a... For those that don't know, which is probably most people, that Hell's Bells is a Christian documentary about the dangers of rock and roll music with satanic bands like Fleetwood Mac and the Beatles and... Bobby Brown. And Zeppelin. And they actually go into some punk and metal stuff, too, that's kind of obscure. Dead Kennedys and Coven and Iron Maiden. They go all over... That yeah, we well, have to put Coven in there. Though. Right. <laughs> That's a big, big part of their argument, I guess. But And Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue. I love this one. Yeah. Which really, is... really love it. I just still don't think that's on DVD. I don't think it ever No, I don't... Which, that is a anti-drug cartoon PSA. It still has the Blockbuster sticker. The cover has all of the classic cartoon characters on it. It has... Garfield, Kermit the Frog, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Alvin cartoon form. And they're all trying to fight an evil character called Smoke, which I believe is voiced by George C. Scott, the old actor. It's one thing to see all of these iconic cartoon characters come together in this one, you know, jamboree, but Smoke's character is just so sleazy <laughs> and, and evil, and you're just like, man, 
It's like it it's, just it's cool. It's yeah. literally a cloud of smoke that it comes to life and tells you to do bad things like smoke. Yeah, like pot. anthropomorphic <laughs> anthropomorphic smoke that you know like telling you to smoke some weed, so I brought a gift for you. You may or may not I don't know, I bet you probably have this, but the movie Rotor. Oh yeah. You have this one? Uh you know what I had it and I traded it, but I'm happy to have it again. Oh, okay. So, so thank you. Thank you very much, man. Rotor how would you describe this movie? I, I think of it as kind of like a RoboCop ripoff. Yeah, not not a very good one. Terminator Two, yeah, yeah. weird, uh, weird ripoff of a bunch of stuff all in one. I mean, it's B or C version of of those movies, and it's it's cool. It has its parts. I'm not crazy about it, but I appreciate it. You know what I mean? And it, look, it's definitely a clone. Look, I like those kind of B movies, the ones that rip off big ones, because they always have their own kind of distinct personality. Most of the time, unless they're totally banal or bland. But Rotor has it has a following for sure for a reason. Definitely, and also has the weekly rental. Yeah, the sticker too, this science fiction oh, sticker. Oh, right, the, yeah. the subgenre there. Thank you so much, yeah. man. It's oh, really, yeah. really cool. Speaking of rentals, you also curate a, a recent video store that has sprung up here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it's part of the Alamo Draft House here that just opened. It's called Video Vortex. Mm-hmm. And how did how did that come to to fruition? Tim League, the owner of Alamo Draft House, I think just has a real passion for the video store and like what that re- represents, and he wanted to do something like that. And one of my buddies got a hold of me, and he was like, hey man, I think you'd be a really good fit for this down here. At the time, I was working at a college in Pennsylvania. I was kind of just doing lunch on the side, had a day job, and then all of a sudden I had this opportunity to go do something that I really care about, and be a part of a video store. So I interviewed for the position, and here I am. <laughs> I came down here to, to curate all the, all the VHS stuff here and do all the VHS culture and help bring that passion to, to what's happening here at Video Vortex. How many films are in the Video Vortex library? Over 70,000. So we have 70,000 or so discs, Blu-rays, DVDs, and then a rotating selection of about 2,200 VHS tapes. Wow. What has the reception been like to that so far? It's been amazing. People are very, very excited, kind of blown away at times. They're laughing and smiling and being like, oh man, this is great. Like, I missed this. You know, and I see a lot of people that come in and seem to be hit by that nostalgia, kind of take them back to another time, which is kind of what the idea is. You get back to a different time when you can just browse the aisles of a video store and find a new movie. Did you have a, a video store growing up that you really miss? Video Vision. Video yeah. Vision? Video Vision in Bridgeton, New Jersey. Yeah, man, I mean, that's where I was all the time. Sometimes I went to Award Video in Vineland, but mainly we went to Video Vision. I read so many movies from there, man. There's always some variation on the, the word video. I mean, you got to get the alliteration. <laughs> right. You know, you got to get that video vision. I mean, there's video visions, there's video visions elsewhere, but that was my, my store, Video Vision. It took me a while to memorize them because I know in Raleigh we had Video Mart, Video Club. My favorite was Video Plaza. Oh, okay. Well, fancy. When that shut down, that was heartbreaking for me, but they did put all, all the movies and video games on sale for $5 each. So I got some some rare video games out of that for five dollars i can imagine even uh, all the sega cd stuff was five <laughs> all the crazy rare oh wow video games for five dollars each yeah i mean just liquidating it and i think that's when that started happening i think a lot of people started buying those vhs tapes going into private collections or, or things like that and then a lot of it got put into goodwills because maybe somebody didn't buy it 
I mean, that's a huge, that's like a purge. And that was the beginning, like a real signifier of how VHS was being put out to pasture through the more commercial kind of avenue. I mean, and then it became a secondhand item. So, and I think that's a big part of like how collecting really began too. How do you feel about streaming such as Netflix and Amazon, Hulu, those type of things? What is your take on, on streaming? I mean, I think it's a great resource. I think there's a lot of movies that are available on there and you can see more stuff. I'm not averse to it at all. I think it's cool to have that option. But as far as watching movies and finding movies, I kind of just do it differently. I think I just I grew up in a different time. I don't have any streaming services mm-hmm. and I, I, it's, I watch tapes and it's not because like I'm a purist or like anything. I think it's more like a ritualistic kind of just inclination kind of thing. I just look for tapes and watch tapes. What, sometimes I'll watch DVDs. Well, the, once in a blue moon. the thing I'll say about physical media is once you own it, it's yours forever. Yeah. I mean, unless you trade it, but, right. <laughs> but, but no, totally. As long as yeah. you want it, because I know there's certain movies that are on Netflix and then you're like, oh, I'm going to go watch that. And then you pop open Netflix and it's gone. Vanished yesterday or whenever. Well, it kind of controls what you can see. I think even though you have this wide array of selection, it controls... You are prescribed what you can see on there. And I think dealing with physical media, you have the choice to pick whatever you want. There's limitations on you know, physical media, too, but what I'm saying is there's, there's a freedom there, almost like an autonomy to discover in your own way without somebody saying, here's what you can discover, because there's so much stuff on tape. Almost everything. Literally, probably everything. And I think some people don't realize how much stuff is just out there that will most likely never end up on Blu-ray or streaming. Yeah. I mean, there's like especially if you go into independent B pictures and obscure special interests. I doubt this is ever going to get DVD release. <laughs> Who am I now? Yeah, I, mean, I don't. Video. <laughs> think, I, mean, I don't think so. You know what I mean? In cartoon all stars, there's so much rights tangled up in there. It's going to be really tough for somebody to put it. Maybe maybe somebody figured it out, but it's stuff like that. It's just it's an indispensable way to to find content, and I think people that go after that kind of thing like obscure movies obscure content obscure documentaries and independent pictures i mean vhs is just absolutely essential to that to that kind of film discovery i think it's also a time capsule into a certain time period for sure with stuff like this puberty video or the hell's bells the dangers of rock and roll documentary sort of captures things that might not be as visible in modern day this definitely captures the satanic hysteria of the period of the late 80s and early 90s. Absolutely. I just, it's a total reflection of society then. It's a window into how the world was. The, the fashions, the mindsets, the aesthetics, everything. I think that's really important to go back and look at those kind of things as part of people history. Almost like analog anthropology. You're, you're looking at this kind of what the culture looked like. Movies and all that kind of stuff, there's art direction. But when you look at low-budget stuff, you see... When you watch a low-budget shot on video horror movie, literally just a guy filming his surroundings with actual effects and a story. So you can see what their houses look like. You can see what they had around them. They can see, you can see like all that kind of stuff. You can see their world and what that world was. When you say shot on video, I, I know some people might not be familiar with that genre. Mm-hmm. You mean shot on camcorder... Yeah, well, shot on tape, too. But, yeah, but shot on camcorder stuff is really what I'm talking about, where it's really just a guy or a, a lady filming their surroundings, trying to just take a home video camcorder and, and 
make another world. Which I think is really cool. That's what makes it especially interesting that somebody just had the had the guts to do that. It was really cool the way they did did what you could as far as the special effects go. Finding whatever you could in your apartment to <laughs> make it work somehow. Yeah, and I think that's the spirit behind it. Just making it being a dang movie. Just if you had to use a video camcorder that you borrowed from your grandma, that's what you did. Probably one of the more well-known shot on video films is The Video Dead. Isn't that shot on film? Yeah. And that's a classic. Anyone who likes those 80s, B-80s zombie movies, that's a great one. Yeah, I mean, Redneck Zombies is another good one. There's video violence. I mean, there, there's so many good ones. Huge fan of that genre. And if anybody listening is not really delved into the shot on video style genre and are into horror movies and weird experimental exploitation stuff, there's so much stuff out there. Do you have any Holy Grail tapes that you're really hoping to get your hands on that you haven't found yet? It's always changing. I've been asked this a lot. My favorite tapes are tapes that I've found that I never knew existed. Like, what is this? And then you get really interested and you research it, you watch the film, and you, it's just like, wow. So I think my holy grail, forever spinning nebulous thing, whatever lands, found America's Deadliest Home Video. Never even knew that existed. Found this movie called Slaughterville. A friend found it for me. And I never knew that existed. But as far as apes that do exist that I want, I think about Star Classics all the time because Star Classics bought out other companies as they folded and started to release their titles and their certain titles within those catalogs that they purchased that I'm like, is there a Star Classics of this out there? So I'm always looking for that because they pop up all the time, the ones I've never seen, and that's why I'm fascinated with collecting them. It's because I have over 300 and I feel like they have thousands of releases. What would be some of the more well-known stuff from Star Classics? Well, they did all kinds of stuff, like Night of the Living Dead, Fantastic Planet. They did Boarding House. They did all kinds of stuff, man. But they did everything. They did cartoons, like public domain cartoons. They did public domain black and white stuff. They did lots of exploitation movies. They did uh, documentaries. Have you seen the movie Little Marines? Uh, yeah. Here's the thing. Little Marines, I, I found out about it a few years ago, and I saw some clips from it, and I just never came across the tape. I think you can watch it online, but I, I don't know if I ever did. But yeah, I know what it is, and I know there's a Little Marines too, isn't there? There is. Insano Kidbit stuff is, is definitely in my wheelhouse. And you say Kidbit, how would you describe that? It's sort of kids' movie, but really weird? Well, it's like, <laughs> it's funny because it's like movies made for a younger audience, right? But then it, it's just really badly done or inept or just kind of weird. And then it becomes this Kidbit oddity these outrageous plot lines or devices or just dialogue made for kids so it can be kind of flighty or, or weird <laughs> but when you look at it through a lens of an older person you're like man this is wacky it makes it really fun so i think that's the attraction is look how bizarre this is <laughs> little marines is kind of a stand by me ripoff but right. in arkansas like really low budget that's what where all this stuff comes from is everybody's trying to mimic some sort of other art, I guess, in some way. But then you have direct rip-offs where you're trying to cash in on something. And when, and when that's really obvious, I think that's really, really cool, too. I think it's funny. Now that VHS collecting has come back, there's the collector market. There's been some surprisingly high-priced items. Yeah, it's outrageous. <laughs> I mean, you see tapes go for $1,000. and it's, But I think that's what establishes a collector culture, is that kind of supply and demand and, and things going for a steady price. Hey, People want this stuff and they're willing to pay for it. So it becomes this establishment for a collector culture because people are really going after it and people cherish them and they covet them. 
for various reasons, whether it's the aesthetic, whether it's the sexiness of the tape, whether it's for the film itself, whether if they're trying to complete some sort of set or just their trifecta or their perfect shelf. I think it's really just supply and demand. Things are worth whatever people are willing to pay for them consistently. Was it true that there was a a copy of the original John Carpenter's Halloween that went for $13,000? Yeah, so I uh, investigated that and it it looked like shill bidding. I don't know if anybody would really pay that much for that, but it brought a lot of attention and that tape still goes for a good amount of money. But it is a really cool tape. For a collector, I, that early version of Halloween on Meta is, is really cool. That's a really sexy tape. It's just a really rad tape. So I imagine people would pay a lot for that. It's because of that aesthetic appeal and its, its value as a horror movie and the whole pantheon of horror movies. and Every aspect of that tape is really attractive to a lot of people. So I, th- I can imagine people wanting to pay more money for it. And obviously tapes are a physical media. Some people have spoken about the dangers of the media deteriorating physically mm-hmm. is there a way you know of to preserve tapes to keep them in better shape for years to come yeah for sure i feel like all physical media decays i think if kept in the right conditions it can last indefinitely i really think that's true um analog tape is a little different because it decays a little differently just keep them in away from moisture don't put them in hot places it's like care for like not necessarily like a book but i mean you don't want to get a book wet you don't want to keep it in bad conditions, you know, because it'll deteriorate. But if you keep it in controlled conditions... I have tapes from 1979-1980 that still work. I have a tape uh, MCA release of The Birds that still plays perfectly fine. But tapes were built stronger back then. Just well done. You get into the 80s and the 90s and you have EP tapes that way lacquer. You can, you can tell the difference, and I don't know if those will last as long, because they're just cheaply made. But the older ones, the better the, the quality, the longer it'll last. Do you think that podcasting has helped the VHS scene with exposure? Absolutely. I think, I think any exposure is, is going to help. I've seen the popularity of podcasts just explode. Like, I'm behind the curve on that. You know, I want to get a lunch meet podcast going soon. But, but this is what it's about. Like, I like sharing, you know, my passions with people. And I think other people sharing their passions on, on an avenue like podcasts, you know, it's, it's just, of course, it's, it's going to help feed interest and knowledge and insight on, like, what VHS collecting actually is or what it's about or why people do it why it's important to them if that connects with somebody great and you run a great podcast called junk food dinner mm-hmm. i think you reviewed the movie i drink your blood oh boy man, that was a long time ago <laughs> um yeah that's one of my favorites plot line is insane the execution is outrageous and the whole atmosphere the direction yeah it's a great that, exploitation that's itself. a great I would say that's a great time capsule of the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, like fear of hippies syndrome. Yeah, how would you, how would you describe I Drink Your Blood if someone hasn't seen it yet? Bunch of roving hippies do acid and do terrible things, and then this little kid wants to get back at him, so he kills a rabid dog and takes the blood, puts it in some meat pies, and then the meat pies are eaten by the hippies, and they all get rabies, and they go nuts and kill people. <laughs> I want, I want, <laughs> if you want the, you know, uh, the short and dirty one. And I think there's no actual blood drank in the movie, is there? It's just... Well, they eat the blood. That's true, they do. They, they eat do the eat blood. It, um, just, it is a great title, though. I mean, terrific title. I mean, it's just... And the artwork is, is fantastic. Everything about that movie just screams amazing exploitation to me. You do lunch meat 
magazine, how long does it take for you to produce each issue? How long, long is a piece of string? I don't know. It really depends, man. It's, it's taken two, it's taken like six months. It's taken three years. I'm putting my new issue out this weekend and it's, it's been about three years since I put a full issue out, which seems insane. And this is my ninth issue and I have a bunch of smaller zines that I put out, but I think over the past few years, I've really tried to focus on doing the website and doing podcasts and things like that. But getting back to the magazine is really what it's about and putting stuff in print because I think we're all huge champions of physical media. Making this physical copy of of documentation of VHS culture is is what's really important. But yeah, I mean, I'm always doing stuff. But as far as the actual full magazine, it really depends. And how many issues have you done so far? So nine full issues and five half issues and then a bunch of smaller zines. Did something for Johnny Dickey called I Was a Teenage Video Vore where he reviews 35 VHS-only movies. That kid's amazing. Johnny Dickey, look him up. Slaughter Tales. Now that you're involved with the Alamo Draft House, uh-huh. what can people expect? Will there be a lot of special screenings coming up? Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to do all kinds of special screenings. I mean, VHS-centric stuff. Yeah, we're going to continue to build that. We have Video Vortex, which was uh, stores named after. It's a, it's a program that's already established for you know five years or so which is all about the celebration of obscure VHS-only movies. So we're going to keep doing our video vortexes. I'm going to do some tape swaps. We're going to have a VHS festival. We're just going to continue to build that appreciation for VHS there, do everything we can to, to make it fun. I know with the Alamo Draft House, they've tried to set the, themselves apart from, from your regular movie, movie theater experience. What do you think makes Alamo so different from the other theaters. It's just a completely different experience. First, you have the seating, the plush seats that recline, and then we serve you at your seat. You can order anything off the menu, and you can order a beer, cocktail, and have it while you're watching the movie. That's just a really cool thing. But I mean, I think the real core of it is the kind of experiences we want to give you with the films. Interactive movie parties and themed screenings. That kind of movie experience that makes you want to come back and and reminds you why you go to the movies. You can escape and have some fun and interact with people that love movies as much as you do. Just really make it a special experience that is memorable. That's really what what we're trying to do at Alamo. Which is great because a lot of theaters just focus on playing whatever movie's out out this week and that's it. Right, and we do do that stuff. You know, we, we, we play the first run movies, but I think... The specialty programming and that attention to just detail when you show a movie. Having that passion come through. Playing movies from people that love movies. We're just all crazy about this stuff, so you want to do fun stuff that people are going to remember. What do you think about the So Bad They're Good phenomenon of films that has really sprung up in the last few years with movies like The Room and Troll 2, Birdemic... I mean, that's cool. That's one way to look at it. I, I love bad movies. I do. But I don't think I love them because they're so bad they're good. I think I love them because they're so themselves. It's just a really representation of something. A different world. Like, when I look at movies, it's like creating a different world that you can escape into for a certain amount of time. And you look at these worlds and you're just like, man, somebody made this movie. Somebody believed in this. Every time you watch a movie, no matter how quote-unquote bad it is you're always going to pull something away from it even if you're just like what the hell did i just watch or like what what is going on here what is this culture like what are these people doing there's always something to take away and i think 
I love bad movies because a lot of times there's a lot of thoughts and notions and, and, and angles that aren't explored in, in bigger, better movies. Well, I think that those films are genuine. Yeah. And I think what sets them apart is that you can't recreate that. I mean, you can sit down and say, we're going to make the worst movie ever, but it's like you're winking at the camera. And that can be fun sometimes, but it's it's a totally different vibe. Yeah. Than someone who's like, I'm going to go full steam ahead even if I have no talent, and I'm just going to make this thing and see what happens. Well, like you said, there's a sincerity there. And as like a, fellow, like a fellow creative, somebody who cares about making cool stuff, I mean, you see somebody's effort there. No matter how horrible it is, you're like, hey, you tried to make this movie, and you believed in it, so I'm going to watch it. And if it's absolutely horrible and you can't get through it, that happens. But sometimes there are movies that are technically bad, but have these redeeming qualities about them. And I think that's where the so bad it's good comes from. Are those redeeming qualities where you're like, yeah, this is not a technically sound movie, but it's entertaining because of X, Y, and Z. Even though if it's unconventional or, I don't know, just stupid or weird or like outrageous. Those are the best movies if you're going to have people over to drink some beer and Oh yeah, better out. with beer movies. That's what I like to call them. There should be an appreciation for those kind of films because they're totally valid. Part of the process of making cinema, making film, I mean, there's going to be those things, and it's good that there is appreciation for, for films that fall into that category. Are you a, a big fan of The Room? I've never seen it. Oh, you've never seen The Room? Yeah, so, I mean, people are going to be like, what? Like, <laughs> I can hear people listening to me like, what, are you kidding? This guy? Never seen it? I've seen clips of it. I don't know, I think sometimes, like every other human, when hype comes around something, it's kind of like kind of like a, a shield against that, and it's like... And a few people have never seen Star Wars, which is crazy, but... I've seen it. it. I'm not a Star Wars freak. I, I don't... I love science fiction, though. Yeah. And I just... I don't know. Maybe it is the hype thing. I don't know. I really... It's just like I've never been super attracted to that. Lord of the Rings, nothing on that. Harry Potter, nothing on that. And these are some of the most popular pieces of fantastic fiction probably in the world right but i'm more i gravitate more towards these obscure more low budget kind of films and i don't know if i can tell you why except for that i just it's it's just a natural attraction like i just i love that kind of stuff and then have you seen troll 2 uh yes many times i think for me meeting the cast of troll 2 is like how a lot of people would be if they met their you know, favorite Hollywood actor or if they met Bob Dylan or some famous person. Meeting the cast of Troll 2 or the cast of The Room for me was like that. And right. Because these people, in my mind, are celebrities. Uh-huh. And meeting the cast members of The Room in a Starbucks randomly... And the baristas being really curious about, like, who is this famous person I'm talking to and me trying to explain to them who these people were was kind of a challenge, but... Well, you just appreciate their art, you know, and I think that's really what it's about. You appreciate what somebody's doing, and it's to a level where you're like, man, you rule. Like, you know, <laughs> like, hey, lady, you rule. Like, whatever whatever it is, it's like, it's just that uh, admiration appreciation, I think. I have admiration and appreciation for people that are doing it a different way than Star Wars. But, you know, Star Wars is great. I'm not yeah. eating on Star Wars. I'm, you know, it's like, I think it's good. But, I mean, I'm just not a fanatic. Well, and the Star Wars phenomenon is interesting because 
I've seen people who were just into Star Wars and that was it. Like, they didn't even like any other films. Sure, well, it's a, it's a very vast, involved kind of universe. And I think that could be one, that one universe could be enough for someone. It almost seems like its own genre, basically. Right, well, it's taken over. And, I mean, I prefer a lot of a bigger solar system, if you will. Maybe, like, you know, a bunch of small universes and, like, this little weird part of the universe and that kind of thing. And you might hate this question, but sometimes people ask me what my favorite horror movie is uh-huh. of all time. Right. Do you have a favorite horror movie of all time, if you had to pick one? I mean... If you only allowed one on a deserted island. One? Oh, man. I love horror movies. This is so difficult. I think... I guess Texas Chainsaw Massacre would have to be it. You know, I just think that's a pitch-perfect horror film. But then I love horror comedy, so Return of the Living Dead is over in the corner, like, hey, what about me, man? You remember me? <laughs> you know, like, so it, it gives you the laughs when you're stuck on, on the uh, deserted island. Sure, you know, and... Uh, you know, a great soundtrack. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really tough, because I love all... Like, The Gate, The Pit. I mean, even Night of the Living Dead, even though it's... it's I don't know. That's a really tough question, so... I but yeah, TCM is one that is just... It's just so iconic for me. So. I'd have to say John Carpenter's The Thing right. is my favorite horror movie. It's very cool. First time I saw it, I was just like, how How did I not see this before? And <laughs> <laughs> didn't realize how perfect that movie was. And for me, it, nothing really sets the tone of total bleakness like that movie. Right. It's all valid. I think it's all about how, like, whatever island you want to be on. Where can people go online if... They want to learn more about the Lunch Meat magazine. Uh, LunchmeatVHS.com. The site hasn't been updated in a while because I've been doing this video vortex thing. But i got a new issue coming out and everything. But LunchmeatVHS.com and LunchmeatVHS on all the social media. Just look up LunchmeatVHS and you'll find it. Do you have other horror magazines that you like to read? Other film magazines? Yeah. Well, Famous Monsters of, of Filmland is you know how... I, I mean, when I started in my early... 20s doing this stuff I mean like that was the hugest influence for me I know it's for kids like 11 12 year olds but I mean it's just it's such a cool magazine I think if you read Lunchmate you can see the influence from it probably but yeah like Fangoria I like a lot of uh, zines that are coming out right now because my buddy's doing this thing uh, Blood Video I really like I would check that out I would like if you're looking for reading material I mean like definitely go back to Psychotronic that's great Uh, Creature Features is great Crash Video Guide is really great those are books, though. But magazines... I mean, I've read a lot of Rue Morgue, surprisingly, like in my 20s. And I thought it was interesting. Well, thanks for talking to us today on Damage Goods. Cool. That was great. Thank you for having me. And you're still listening to Damage Goods. Also streaming live on Little Raleigh Radio every Wednesday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern. That's it www.littleraleighradio.org and that was an interview just heard with Mr. Josh Schaefer from the Lunchmeat magazine also Video Vortex that new cool video rental store at the Alamo Draft House in Raleigh North Carolina and I believe it's the only one the only video rental store in an Alamo Draft House right now so hopefully more to follow and if there's an Alamo Draft House in your town hopefully They'll add it to that. If you'd like to stream full episodes of the weekly show for free, including lots of cool tunes, go to our website, damagegoodsradio.com, 
and click on the blog or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on the street, or wherever else you can find us.